2: Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always my co-host Nick Pilato, And today, we've got a special guest on the show, and that's John Schmelk. I honestly feel like we, not to toot our own horns, are some of the busiest Giants people during draft season. I mean, we are doing a podcast on the Giants a day. And then I look over at John and I'm like... Well, I can't compete with that. We simply can't compete with that. I mean, this man is doing everything when it comes to the draft. We're talking about the Giants Huddle Podcast, the Big Blue Kickoff Live, also podcast form, and then draft season podcasts. Just unbelievable stuff. I've been listening to them all. John gets on some unbelievable guests, and they do what we love here at Big Blue Banter. They do the in-depth stuff, the deep X's and O's type draft content. I know that's what you guys come for, so we're excited to get John on today. John, how are you doing? I'm good, guys. Yeah, I mean, this is this is fun season
3: for me. I wish the regular season has been more fun the last, you know, eight years. But we can settle for fun draft seasons, right?
1: <laughs> Correct. It's something that we hope for, man. I would just love for the New York Giants to be good. And in order for us to get there, we need to nail these drafts. We need to start this Joe Shane, Brian Dable time off well. So, John, we're going to start with one question that every fan is asking and then kind of springboard it into the deep dive stuff after. You're around yep. the team. You have an excellent feel for the franchise. What direction do you think they're leaning in with the fifth and seventh pick?
3: If they don't pick an offensive tackle with one of those two picks, I'd fall off my chair. Um, <laughs> I mean, is it impossible given the quality of the class? And if the will kneel are off the board? No, it's not impossible. But look, I'd be surprised. I mean, there's just such a gaping hole at right tackle right now. And they do really want to find out about Daniel Jones. You you want to try to figure out who that guy is. And I think the class is actually set up nicely where one of those two guys is not one of those two. I happen to have Charles Cross right with that group. I don't know how the Giants front office feels about him. So I'd be very surprised if one of those first two picks. And I think five specifically. Uh, I'm not so much on the Carolinas picking a quarterback, Van Wayne, as everyone else is. I think it's possible. But if they don't, I'm damn near sure they're picking an offensive tackle. So I think you have to pick that offensive tackle at five, unless all three are left. And then maybe you can try to get cute there a little bit. So uh, I think that's what you're looking at there. And then I think you're looking at edge rusher and quarterback, right? They're not only needs, but I think they match value in the class. If you look at the, in my opinion, there are six blue chip guys in this class that I would love to get at five or seven. It's Hutchinson. And I'm not even as high Hein Hutchinson as everybody else, but he's such a safe player that, fine, I'm not going to complain. Thibodeau, I can't speak to the you know, off-field personality stuff just off the tape, Thibodeau. Sauce Gardner, he matches everything Wink Martindale wants for a cornerback. And then the three offensive tackles, Neil Cross, and Aquano. So if you can walk away with two of those six guys, unless you can get a great trade-down offer, which I'd be on the phones for, uh, I think that's kind of the group that you're looking at, in my opinion.
2: And it's so funny you mentioned that because it's really along the lines of what me and Nick have been saying. We feel the same way. We don't have our hands on all of the tape. We have a good source that gives us some good all 22. But from everything we've seen when it comes to Thibodeau, we just don't see the character concern stuff. We don't see him taking off plays. There's like one example of a play late in the game when they're down four touchdowns in the most recent Pac-12. I think it was a championship game, the Pac-12 championship from last year. And, you know, you have a couple plays here and there, but there's also plays of him chasing down backside runs and just... Putting Yeah, and after. by the
3: way, and Dan, he also played through an ankle injury, right? Like, he right. could have shut it down this year if he wanted to and exactly. been a top-five pick, and he didn't. Now, maybe it's not dogging it as much as it. why wasn't he dominant more often? Why didn't you get more dominant snaps, especially against some of the competition that he should have been dominant against? So I think maybe that's the question. Will he do enough to become great? There are a bunch of guys with all the tools to be great, but they don't do enough to become great. Will he do enough to become great? That is what I think the ultimate question is with him that teams will have to answer.
1: It also seemed like a lot of those questions started cropping up after that January interview with Joel Klatt, where he was talking about his brand, and he also kind of put it didn't down. Help. Yeah, it was very pejorative towards Alabama's education uh, down there at the University of Alabama, and I feel like that really pissed a lot of people around the league off. At least that's what it just seems like.
3: I mean, anyone that says they don't want to play at Alabama, I think it makes you raise your eyebrows a little bit, right? Like, how serious are you taking this? And then, you know, I mean, he did, it was, it was in a specific context as to him being hard on himself. But when you say into a microphone at the NFL combine, there's nothing a coach can show me that I don't already know. That's also something where you're like, dude, like, I get you were saying it in the context is I'm so tough on myself that I see it before the coaches do, but I can't say that. Like be 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 smarter, you know?
2: Without a doubt. And I want to talk a little bit more about five and seven in the offensive tackle position specifically. We're in lockstep there. Me and Nick both agree at five. The priority is just get one of those two tackles. For us, it's Neil and Aquanu. I have cross up there. Me and Nick have gone back and forth a little bit on cross. I kind of see it as a little bit of a teardrop off after Neil and Aquanu, then a big teardrop after cross. So my question for mm-hmm. you is. For example, if you like, for me, I like Raymond, uh, Ryman more than Penning. That's just my personal preference. But either way, I can't really bank on either of them being there at 36. So with that said, I'm in the Campbell tackle at five. Where do you stand on the approach of maybe looking at day two or day three on the offensive tackle class? And if so, do you have any guys that have stood out to you for like day two, day three tackles? No, and that's the worry with me
3: that I don't see many day two tackles that I love. Uh, the Washington State. Uh, tackle he's one guy that I think can pass protect but you know the system you know is he strong enough I actually like uh petite Frere from Ohio State I think he's got awesome feet the problem is that you basically saw Ohio State change his position because he got abused by Michigan so badly in the big Ten title game so that's kind of the red flag with him Daniel Philele intrigues me i want him to be really good but a guy that's 380 and is 6'9 and i just worry about him handling speed rushers and guys that get low on him so i want i want to like him and i want him to be great but i do worry about that um i'm not a tyler smith guy i think he's a guard i do not think he's a tackle um Maybe three years from now he could be a tackle. But if you watch, if you guys can find the Tulsa Cincinnati game, just watch the TV copy. You don't have to watch the coach's tape. It's ugly, like really, really ugly. Um, I like Penning more than Ryman myself. Um, I'm joking for my notes here on Ryman just so I can give you the things that I'm a little bit concerned about with him. But you know, I think he has a lot of potential. If you're shooting for upside, I get it. Then again, I thought Penning's testing was was also pretty excellent. Um, the thing that worried about me with Ryman, this is what I have kind of highlighted on my notes here. He gets beat in different ways. I saw him get beat with inside spin. I saw him get beat with speed outside. I saw him get beat with with power. And I find that when I see a guy getting beat in different ways, that worries me a little bit. You know, if you can pinpoint, all right, well, he oversets. He gets beat inside too much. You can fix that. You know, so I worry about that a little bit. I do like his upside, but I, I don't. I would not. If at 36, I think about it. I don't think he's a first-round player, in my opinion. Penning, I think, is pretty good. I think he was much better at the Senior Bowl than Ryman, too. I think Ryman had some issues at the Senior Bowl. I think he struggled a little bit. Um, One of the reasons why I like Penning more than him. Why do you, out of curiosity, have Cross on a slightly separate tier than Aquanu Neil? Because I kind of have Neil as my one. I like the fact that he has played right tackle before for one. I think he's a better pass protector than Aquanu. Um, I know he can play guard as well. And left tackle for that matter. Um, I think he's a great athlete. There are not any glaring weaknesses for him. You know, Quanu's pass pro genuinely concerns me a little bit. I think he is it's a little sloppy, and I've seen too many times people get enamored with the physicality on these guys, and then yeah. they you know, they don't pass protect well enough. And he's never played on the right side. So I kind of have Neil there and then I have Cross at Quanu. I'm they kind of have similar grades for me, but they're better at different things, and I have them. I'm kind of back and forth on those two guys. I think I'd probably go Aquano, just because I think he's a safer player because I feel like if he fails as a tackle, I feel great that he's going to be an all-pro yeah. guard. And, okay, you get a great guard at seven or five. I'm kind of okay with that in this draft class. So that's kind of where I'm at. What What's your guys' concerns with Cross out of curiosity?
2: So for me, again, it's like the slightest of drop-offs between, uh, between Equanu and Cross. I like them both, and we both have Neil as our OT1 just based on the safety. For me, with Cross, probably the issues that – I'm starting to crop that are starting to crop up for me at least as I watch a little bit more of him. I see him get beat a little more than I expect or want him to for someone who's, you know, has so little, so little at this point experience as a run blocker. So you're really basing it on his experience as a pass protector. I do like his feet, which are important, but I also feel like Quanu has really good feet and really good pop to go along with it as well and will immediately be a like, kind of a weapon in the run game for the Giants, even if they have to eventually kick him inside the guard or if he starts cool. out at right tackle. For cross, for me, it's 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 a little bit of concern with the system coming from that system, obviously. And I'm just a little bit concerned with what I haven't seen. But again, it's a no, slight drop fair. off for that's me. That's
1: fair. Yeah, that's the same thing with me. Now I actually like Charles Cross. I think it's close. I have yeah. Icky higher, but everything you said, John, is correct with the quanta There are some glaring concerns with his ability to pass protect his hand usage. I feel like he allowed pass rushers into his outside shoulder way too often, was a little bit undisciplined with his hips in some of those pass sets. And honestly, when I went into his film, I was a little shocked by how many times he ended up getting beat in pass protection, because I didn't necessarily expect that because all the hype around him. But then you look at his upside as a run blocker. And as you said, and we brought this up several times in the podcast as well, John, he can be an all pro guard if you kick him inside, just the overall physicality that he plays with and also the fact that he had a scholarship to Yale and to Harvard. It really kind of just speaks to his mental capacity. Now, does that translate to football IQ? Not necessarily, but I haven't heard any dings with Ikemi Quano in terms of that area. With Charles Cross, Dan nailed it with the, I guess you could say just the, the air raid system in general. It's, it's not necessarily the biggest hit rate. He's going to see different defenses. It's variants in pass sets aren't, are going to be a little bit more complex. I feel like at the next level, or as the air raid, it, it was a little bit more simplified, I guess you could say. And then obviously the run blocking. I love Charles cross though. I I, I do. Yeah. I think he is worth, I have a first round grade on Charles cross. All right. So
3: I, I, I want to play a fun game with you guys. Then let's, let's say the it. first four picks in this draft are Hutchinson. Thib- uh? Let's go <laughs> Hutchinson Walker Trayvon. The two tackles, Neil and Akwanda. They're they're gone. You're picking at five. Do you pick cross first or do you go Gardner or Thibodeau and hope the Panthers don't take cross and wait till seven?
1: I think you have to go cross first. If you are dead set on getting one of those tackles. Now I haven't done an evaluation on Lucas yet. I've done Ryman. I've done penning. I'm not the biggest penning fan. I think if you lead the FCS in holding, that's probably an issue in terms of translating to the NFL, but I think you go cross there if you're comfortable enough, because you don't want to give the Carolina Panthers the opportunity to make that selection. Cause they're probably going to go tackle if they do not go quarterback. So I would go there and then take either Kavon or sauce. And if you're really in love with sauce, you got to look at what Carolina's done recently. Carolina last year spent a first round pick on JC Horn. It was a malign selection, even though he's a good player, but he got hurt and look, they need a quarterback. They banked on Sam Darnold. It did not work out. And then they traded for CJ Henderson. So I don't think they would go cornerback. So sauce should be available. If you don't trade out of that seventh pick. The I agree. Panthers I the also
2: traded for CJ. Jay Anderson last those. So they they really have loaded up on the assets there. I'm I'm with Nick here, John. I'm taking cross. I mean, even though it's the slightest of drop offs for me from Neil, uh, from Aquanu to cross, just because I love Aquanu's upside a little bit more. I still have crossed the top 10 player and I'd be totally happy getting him at seven. I'm really in the camp of, they have to get one of these three tackles. If they want to go tackle in this class, I just, I can't trust. I, again, there's a few guys I like in that second, third round range, but I don't love them. I can't trust that they'll be there. And if you look at the track record of tackles taken outside of the top 35, outside of the top 50, it's not a great track record and it takes a while and there's few and far hits in between. So I'm high enough on cross that I would I would take cross at five there. Hey, look, offensive tackles like quarterback. Now, if you don't pick yep. them
3: early, they're probably not going to be that good. That's just kind That's of the I way it goes, that. man. Same thing with pass rushers, by the way.
2: And that's yeah. what we were saying last year when everyone was saying, no, you can't take, because we loved Rashawn Slater. He was the top player on our board for the Giants. Everyone's saying, no, you can't draft over Parrott. I'm like, you can't worry about drafting over someone <laughs> taking at 99 overall at offensive tackle. Hey, you, I don't
3: know if you guys listened to us last year, but you know me, I was a Rashawn Slater guy. I thought yes. I thought he was a better prospect than Sewell, myself, to be honest wow. with you. So,
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, he has that upside, but technically it wasn't necessarily there, but he was a young prospect, but John, since we're talking about the offensive line, I kind of want to ask you about the interior offensive line. It was a mess for the giants this past season. And I felt like Joe Shane in the front office did a good job kind of bringing in a lot of veterans. who were only going to count like 1 million against the cap. I felt like he did a good job doing that, but they're not long-term selections. Do you think the giants will still look at the interior offensive line and who really kind of piques your interest at those positions and also kind of group in some of those tackles who will more than likely be all interior offensive linemen, like Tyler Smith from Tulsa or a Darian Kennard from Kentucky.
3: Yeah. The only long-term guy that really brought in an interior is, is, is Glowinski. Right. I think that's yep. a legitimate three-year deal. I think, you know, he's 29, I think 28. Yeah. So I think you feel pretty good about him being here for that, you know, to fill out that contract. He's a good, solid, good NFL starter. But you're right, like, you know, Feliciano's a one-year deal, you know, how much, how you know, that's not a long-term commitment. Then I think at uh, the other guard spot, they kind of just took a bunch of veterans, you throw them against the wall, you hope somebody plays well enough to earn in the spot, which, by the way, I think is a good strategy. I think that makes sense. And you get somebody that's competent in there, and that's what you're looking for. But, yeah, look, I think you are looking for long-term answers. Um, I don't think unless Zion Johnson, Kenyon Green, or Linderbaum drop to you at 36, and I don't think that's going to happen. Um, I don't think you can go guard at 36. I think you probably would think about it at that top pick in the third round. Because if you wait longer than that, I think you get into a little bit of trouble if you try to wait too long. Um, the guys that I really like, I like if you want to go center first, I like Fortner from Kentucky. I think he's a really good, solid player. Strong. If you guys can find that Kentucky-Georgia game, I thought he held up really well against Jordan Davis in that game. I think he's a nice, solid player. Um, I'm not as high on Cam Jurgens as everyone else. I know he tested really well, but the tape is not at Fortner's level, in my opinion. I like Fortner better than him. I like Dylan Parham from Memphis better than him. I think he's a really nice player. He was good at the senior bowl. He's a really good athlete. He's played multiple positions. He moves well. I think he's a little stronger, but I think he's a really good player. So if you're looking for a center. I think those two guys with that first third round pick would be options at guard. This is one of those. All right, let's find the slow footed tackles to move into guard drafts. And yep. you know, whether it's, I happen to like Jamari Salyer from, from Georgia. I thought he had some really good tape uh, against Michigan in, in the playoff game. He was fantastic. Uh, you hear him talk. He's a smart guy. He's played multiple positions. I think he'd be a great guy to plug and play a guard. Uh, the, the Kentucky tackle canard, I think is another really big guy you can plug in at guard and be okay with. Um, trying to think, I mentioned Tyler Smith before he's a guy that you can kind of move inside, I think, and, uh, plug and play a guard, Ryan, the left tackle for you, for UCLA. You know, you watch that tape and you're sitting, you're like, why are they playing this guy at left tackle? He looks like a guard to me. Uh, I think he's a guy you can slide into guard on, on late in day two. Maybe he could be a guy you get with your second, third-round pick. He's a guy I think would do uh, pretty well there. You want a real powerful guy? If you like Kenyon Green, the lesser version of Kenyon Green in this draft is Ed Ingram out of LSU. He's kind of a bulldozer type. He's more of a late third-round, early fourth-round for me. Uh, Those are the guys that I would keep an eye on on day two if you're looking for an interior lineman. I'll be honest with you, though. I think some of the traits with Linderbaum – might push him down. I don't know if he's getting pushed down to 36 because I think someone will jump on him. But I think the size and the arm length worries people. And especially, he's not going to appeal to teams that don't run a zone heavy scheme. So yep. that's going to reduce the number of teams that look at him. And if he's sitting there at 31 or 33 or even 29. Do you consider moving up for that? Like, I don't, I don't know. I don't like trading up in those spots. The Giants do a lot of picks. I want more picks next year, especially. But that's a guy I think that giant fans could get a little excited about if you see him drop it into the late twenties in the draft.
1: I think the Tyler Lindenbaum dropping that would uh, set Giants Twitter ablaze if he's sitting there at like 31 or 32. Well, you laugh like two months ago when this first thing started. People wanted to pick him at seven. I know. I'm
3: like, wanted him right at seven. Minds, but
1: yeah, that's what people – I mean, yeah, fans would lose their minds. Forget it. If you watch the Michigan game, you could see some of the struggles that he dealt with. Yep. Mm-hmm in terms of sticking onto his blocks, in terms of strength to the point of attack. He has T-Rex arms. All of those things are going to be concerns for some NFL teams. And I like some of those names you brought up. Ed Ingram is an interesting one. I know he had some uh, off-the-field issues, so that needs to definitely be sussed out. And then Luke Fortner is a, a big blue banter favorite. So um, it's a great call right there, John.
2: Yeah, I love Fortner's length. I'd be really excited if he becomes a Giant. But I want to touch on a little 30,000-foot view type discussion that you kind of just – me in that direction with one of the last things you said. You talked about how you want more picks for next year. And I ask you about this because in your podcast, uh in the Giants Huddle podcast, you had an interview with Joe Shane earlier, right around the time he got the job, and he talked about kind of what he's gonna do. He's gonna bring in a new digital draft board, and he's gonna have kind of a full court press for next year's draft for 2023. Does that kind of work into why you kind of want the giants to have more picks next year? Because we did hear last year, how the giants wanted more picks for this year because of COVID and because how's there going to, how there's going to be more prospects in this class. And that was kind of the storyline narrative there, but how about for next year? And do you think at all that will play into Joe Shane's actual strategy when it comes to trading back to acquire more picks for next year's draft?
3: And by the way, I think it kind of worked out too, because this is a really deep class, right. like having third, fourth and fifth rounders this year, that. That's going to work like that. That's good. I Look, I just think when you're a team that's clearly in a, you know, you want to use rebuilding, that's fine. You want to call it reforming. You want to call it um renewal, whatever you want to call it. Like it's a new coach. It's a new general manager. They're going to want their own players in here. Right. And you don't want too many young guys in one year. They already have a lot of picks this year. You don't need any more, in my opinion. Now if you can get something, you get a good trade down. Great. But to me next year is when you really start trying to figure things out, right? Like you get to make decisions on Leonard Williams after this year on Kenny Galladay after this year, Daniel Jones after this year, Saquon Barkley. I mean, look, there's a lot of decisions you get to make, you know, after this season. And, you know, my general philosophy is unless you know, for sure, you have a quarterback, everything you do must be, um, arranged around getting that franchise quarterback. Right. So I think, You have to at least play for the worst case scenario that Daniel Jones isn't your guy and prepare for that. And you do that by acquiring assets for next year to move up because right now, you know, there's a lot of teams that could be kicking the can down the road. Like Miami could be kicking the can down the road. Philly could be kicking the can down the road. Uh, Is Seattle and Atlanta, are they going to draft quarterbacks? Are they kicking the can down? So you could be competing with four or five different teams next year for two or three quarterbacks. And then whatever team is the best offer, is going to be able to trade up and get these guys. So you need as many assets as you can to do it. So that to me is is really the the, the simplest thing. I, I when when I talk Knicks is the same thing, right? Everything you do in the NBA is getting a star player. You got to figure out your star. How do you get that star player? Everything you do is to revolve around that goal. It's the same thing for the football with the quarterback. You got to figure out a way to get a top twelve quarterback in this league. Can you win with that one? Sure. It's exceedingly difficult and it's exceedingly difficult to do consistently. Look at how the Niners have fluctuated year to year, yep. right? Now, they've managed it, but one year good, then bad. Oh, not, Now we're okay again. It's very difficult. So, for me, you have to keep acquiring more and more picks until you have your franchise quarterback. Then your methods can change a little bit.
2: And even to get to where the Niners got to, they had to be the outlier. They had to have yep. – an incredible offensive system with one of the best offensive masterminds, the NFL and play callers. They had to find Debo Samuel. They had to have an incredible draft process and And have a great defense. Yeah. Great draft process, great draft results. And even so, like you said, there's still fluctuation without having that top 12 quarterback. And you, I mean, you're speaking gospel here to Nick and I, as far as the quarterback (laughs) goes, but that's one of the reasons we're also interested in trading back. And we'll see if Joe Shane shares that same, you know, motive. Would
3: you guys be willing to trade down from five and risk losing the offensive tackle? I think it depends
1: on who went in the first four picks. If yeah, two of yeah. those or three of those guys are still available, or say two of those guys are available, One's then you left. might feel fit. One is left. Uh, John, see, you're making this hard for us, <laughs> oh, right? Of course. I'm not going to it easy on you. <laughs> I, think it, I, think it, I think it depends on the draft hall. I mean – I mean, it's great that the Giants have this seventh pick right now, right? That they have Chicago's first round pick, but the opportunity cost in making that decision was Micah Parsons or Rashawn Slater. So you look at it from that prism and you're like, was it actually the right move? And I mean, in a couple of years, whoever the seventh pick is and whoever Kadarius Tony ends up being might not even equate to anything close to what Rashawn Slater and Micah Parsons, the impact they have with their respective franchises. It's
2: possible. Sure. I, I, so, I think that's a res- And I'm not saying that's wrong because we've heard yeah. that all throughout Twitter for the last year, me and Nick. And I think it's a little bit results-based and not every time you trade down, it's not always going to be your passing up on a Rashawn Slater or a Micah Parsons. It's not. And I again to be quite honest, the giants from everything we heard might've not taken either of those two players either. If they didn't trade back, I'm hoping they would have taken one of those two, but we don't know for sure because they were very interested in getting a skill player on that offense. Well, here's the funny thing, year. by the way,
3: would you, if you could have had Devontae Smith today, would you have done that trade?
2: I would have still done the trade at the time. Me too yeah, it's it's a process over results thing for me, even though Smith obviously hasn't had the same kind of breakout as Parsons and Slater. But. For me, it's process over results. And as, as you look at it for next year, you kind of have to think about any of these teams you're trading back with. Where are they going to be drafting in the next class? That that requires speculation. And the NFL changes so much year to year. I know a lot of people were like, uh, talking to me, like, the Bears have a. Because I had a galaxy brain idea, like, trade again with the Bears, get their next year first. Because I think the Bears are going to have the worst record in football next year. I mean, they, oh, they could be bad. They could be every really bad. Every asset that was good on that roster, Mac, Akeem Hicks, Allen Robinson, it goes on and on. And their offense line is still a disaster. But, you know, you got to. Because if it's a two quarterback class, let's say it is. Let's say it is Stroud and Young, and I don't know that for sure. Some people like Will Levis. I think there's. I think there's. It's fair to say he's got a lot of work to do. But say it's a two quarterback class, then the Giants may not even be in position to trade up for one of those picks. If the first two teams drafting there need a quarterback, they might just say, "All right, we're taking our quarterback here." So there is still some speculation right. and some uncertainty when you trade back. It doesn't guarantee you a swing at one of these quarterbacks. Now, now what
3: them. you what you need to hope is that Jacksonville's awful again. But Trevor uh-huh. Lawrence was pretty good, and they're and a team mi- that's going to want to get out. That, oh, that's I'm for even, well, even the crazier Bears. idea.
2: Jackson. You know what, what, total- what happens
3: is Fields is good, but the Bears suck, right? And then they need to get out of there, right? So those right. are the kind of the two teams that's what you, you want, want to man. be in that mix because they're not going to need a quarterback. I see. I think the I, I think the Falcons are going to be awful. I think the right. Falcons are going to be a bad team next year. So if you can somehow figure out a way to get their pick, that's that's that, a good one I to get. That's yeah, the goal.
2: if they're looking to get Willis now or any of these quarterbacks, that's a good one to get.
1: And it's the arms race, though, too. I think five teams right now have multiple first-round picks. So there's going to be
3: whoever finishes. Hold on, I did. I think there's eight now. Hold on. I, I actually just sent this to somebody the other day. Let me bring it up here really quick before. But, yeah, there's eight teams right now that have multiple picks. The Lions, Texans, Jets, Giants, Saints, Eagles, Packers, Chiefs.
1: No, I'm talking about for next year's draft. Oh, next year. I'm sorry. My bad. Yeah. I, I apologize. Yeah. For next year's draft, I mean, multiple, There's, I think there's five teams. So, oh, wow. whoever is there finishes really with that, that many
3: that, already? Wow. I think
1: so. Cause I'm like just going through it in my head. I don't have the list in front of me. The Eagles do, right? Do the Dolphins now have that? I uh, think Miami some, has two. The Texans yeah. do. And um, I'm not really coming up with the next two, but I know there's quite a few that have that. So whoever finishes first overall, they're going to have their pickings. The the price of that is going to be in such high demand. So that's something else to really consider. And I don't know, man, I'm looking at five and seven. And I've said this several times on the podcast. I think the Giants are just in an excellent position right now. I don't know what path they're, they're going to take, but I think it is a path towards a, at least a path of success
2: is the way I'm going to deal. I mean, look, John nailed it at the beginning of this podcast. He said that, look, Joe Shane said yesterday, we're in a position where we have so many needs that it's almost impossible not to take best player available. That's great. But really what John said, what Schmelk said at the beginning of this podcast, which makes the most sense is all these GMs are looking to do the same thing, match need with value. And when you can do that, you don't, it's harder to trade out. Like right now, the Giants are in a position where they can do a really good job of matching need with value. If they get two of Gardner, any of those edges and one of those three tackles. And they're then they're yep. matching the best player available with their, with their need at a position of premium. It's really almost as good as it gets. Yep. Speaking yeah. of position of premium, actually, I want to dive into this just because it transitions well. Something you also discussed with Shane back in that original interview was positional value. And in the past, we won't have to get into this right now, but it, the Giants haven't uh, at all times prioritized positional value in the past, at least in my opinion but it seems like that's something they're going to do now and he talked about how it's so cost effective to have those types of positions edge cornerback and offensive tackle i think were the ones that you guys discussed because yeah. you get those guys on rookie deals for cheap and that's before they have to sign that you know that unbelievably cap costing deal on their second contract do you think that based on the conversation you had that could make Joe Shane a little more risk averse and maybe not as likely to draft a player like Kyle Hamilton. If he has him as, you know, even if he has a top three, top five grade on him and how do you think that will play out in his entire draft process?
3: You know, it's funny. Hamilton's interesting because I do think in some ways that star cash money, whatever the heck you want to call that guy that plays the middle of the field for teams. That's kind of that linebacker safety hybrid. I do think that position is becoming more of a premium position because you have to cover super athletic tight ends. You have to cover slot receivers. You have to, you know, play zone. You know, the middle of the field is where, you know, the best quarterbacks, you know, do their business. So if you have a guy in there that can, you know, stop that, I do think that's hard to find. And there aren't aren't that many guys built that are capable of doing all those things. So I do think in a way that – position is becoming more important. Then again, Teron Matthews still a free agent. So maybe it's not as important as, as you know, some people think it is, but you know, I would be surprised if they went safety early. If you remember the bills, they value the safety position, but they didn't use premium dollars or premium picks to fill it. Right. Right. Um, they did resign the guys, but when they first went after it, they kind of, they didn't, you know, sign the guy to the highest salary or use a first round pick on him when they brought employer and, and Hyde. So, Um, For me, I don't think Hamilton will be a guy that they pick if you're wiped out on the tackles or you pick the tackle at five and Gardner, Hutchinson, and Thibodeau are all gone, which is possible. Yeah. Then I think, and you're staring at either a second offensive lineman, Hamilton, or Jermaine Johnson, then I think maybe he enters the conversation a little bit. But I think he does. And look look how he drafted in a Buffalo. All he did was draft, you know, pass rushers that get to the quarterback. Whether yeah. it's, you know, Ed Oliver, I know he's a, a, a three-tech, not an N, but those guys get paid too, right? Look at Chris Jones' salary, uh, Leonard Williams' salary. So those guys get paid. You know, they before they got there, they used to pick on Tredavious White. And then I think wide receiver is a premium position to him too, to be honest with you, and Dable. Now, the thing is that there's such a high supply of those that it makes the approach a little bit different. You can get them, and there's just a lot of them out there. So, yeah, look, I, I think that is going to be important. I think once you get to the middle rounds and even, you know, round three and the round two, you just try to find starters at that point. If you find a good starter in a position, you take them because I think usually those positions get pushed up, which is why when you're picking in the top 10 or top 15, that's when you got to get those guys because it's hard right. to get them even in the back half of the first round. So that's what I think the approach is going to be for sure.
1: I think the safety conversation is interesting just because, if I'm not mistaken, Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde were signed by Doug Whaley right before Brandon Beam came in and accepted that job.
3: I'd have to double check it. I'm honestly not positive.
1: Me either, yeah. So if that's the case, I'm, I, I don't know. I just look at pick 36 and I look at the safety class in general. And I think like Penn State's Taquan Brisker, George's Lewis sign or scene, I always pronounce that a little bit uh, screwed up. I think those guys are really good football players. Daxton Hill out of Michigan, who I don't think will be available for the Giants. Don't forget my boy,
2: Jalen Petrie.
1: Yeah, Jalen Petrie from Baylor. We're big fans of Jalen Petrie as well. They're I think those player. players. Yeah, I think those guys could be in consideration. It would fit really well with what Wink Martindale wants to do, but. Look, hey, by the scene, way, you're
3: right. March 9th, Hyde and Poyer got signed by the Bills in 2017, and Bean got hired on May 9th, 2017. You're
1: right. Good call. Okay. So I'm just, I'm just a little curious as to if they would invest that, but I do want to ask you about the wide receiver position because, yet again, wide receiver position is pretty deep right now. And we're big fans of a few different wide receivers on the Big Blue Banter podcast here. Some, some high picks like Traylon Burks, Jahan Dotson, Alec Pierce, kind of a mid-round guy, and then Taequann Thornton as a deeper prospect just to name kind of a couple with that said, do you have any specific wide receivers who have caught your attention? That makes sense for the New York giants. Cause it's kind of a position in need. And it's wild to think that because they had Kenny Galladay who they signed last off season and spent a first round pick on Kadarius Tony. Yeah, I have not gotten
3: the Taquan Thornton yet. He's on my list. I'm literally looking at my wide receiver list right now. He is the last guy on there that I still need to watch. I'm excited um, for
2: you to get to him, John. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> very right, excited. I look
3: forward to And it's funny. I actually heard, I was listening to, um, the uh, NFL um NFL.com podcast, tape heads with um Cassell, right? Uh, Cassell and he said He's he loves Taekwond Thornton yeah. too, which is which is kind of what piqued my interest. So I really like a lot of these second round guys, to be honest with you. I think I don't see why Chris Olave is a better player than Sky Moore. I I don't I don't I don't understand. I think Olave is probably a little bit faster. But I think Sky Moore is better at nearly everything else, to be quite honest with you. Cool. Um, I think
2: John coming in with the bold takes here. I,
3: Sky more over Olave, I, baby. I I really like Sky Moore. <laughs> I know I, I don't think he's a slot only guy. I think he's a better yeah. run after the catch guy than Olave. You know, maybe Olave's a little bit smoother in his routes, but I think I think more separates really well. Um George Pickens, would it shock you guys if, if he's just as good as Drake London in two years? Wouldn't not, not. at all? Wouldn't shock me. I think he's
2: a better ball tracker on deep passes too. I think he's, he's got a trait that London may not have.
3: Yeah, I agree. I think he's a really good player. I, I agree. I think Pierce is, is, is kind of a, a big slot in my opinion in, in round three, if you want to go there, uh, John Mechie, I'm not a huge fan. He reminds me a lot of Jarvis Landry. I think kind of that possession guy with really good hands that can separate in the kind of short to mid range. um, Christian Watson's interesting. I've done a cursory look at him. I haven't done a deep dive on him, but boy, his metrics are unbelievable. Is he Denzel Mims though? You know, his metrics are great too. And then he hasn't, you know, he's had injuries and he hasn't worked out, you know? So I think that's a guy you kind of think about. Jahan Dotson. I like, I do think he's a true slot. I don't think he's a guy you could put outside, you know, I'm curious whether or not the Giants would be willing to draft somebody that they believe is a slot player. You know, you have Sterling Shepard for one more year. You have Kadarius Toney. I think if they draft a true slot, I think that tells you something. So I think that's an interesting thing to kind of keep an eye on. What they could really use, I think, is like they have a big guy in Galladay. They have a, you know gadget type guy for lack of a better term and tony they need a route technician right you know Shepard could be that guy but we just don't know about his health so i want i want a guy that can run really good routes and get open so if i'm trying to target somebody as a receiver i want a route runner if i'm the giants
2: i want to press a little on on this with you john because i'm curious to get your take on this so first of all i agree with you That it will say a lot if they draft one of these slot types, but the kind of what kind of stinks a little bit for the Giants in this specific receiver class, at least from my evaluation of it, it does seem like a lot of the guys I like at value are those slot types. Unfortunately, in those middle rounds where I want the Giants to be drafting. Having said that, you mentioned how they can use a route technician, something that I actually think Sterling Shepard, when healthy, is the best on their roster. I I agree, hundred percent. One of the most underrated in the NFL. But what I almost think they need a little bit more than that, and I think back to the four games this season where the offense finally clicked, it was that weeks one through two uh, two through five. They had deep speed on the field in John Ross. Now, John Ross is not someone they could, af- they could afford to put on the field for full complement of snaps every game. They had to take him on and off. The injuries were starting to pop up, things of that nature. But that actual ability to stretch the field and be that knife in the defense with that kind of just. Straight up blazing speed. And you could see it on some of these guys tape. I mean, the the reason I think Watson will ultimately get drafted higher than, than most people than maybe he should, I guess I should say, because there are deficiencies that I worry about in his game is just that straight up. He looks like a gazelle. He picks up so much (laughs) ground when he accelerates both after the catch and within his vertical stem, and you have a few other guys in this class. Thornton's one of them, but there's a few other guys who are like that. I almost wonder if the Giants will benefit more from having that on the field for every snap. You couldn't afford to do it with John Ross because of the, like we said, there's other reasons why you can't have him on the field 100% of the snaps. But if you have one of those guys who has really legitimate straight line speed and acceleration, it does open up the middle of the field for you, I think, as a passing attack. and it, And huh? the offense looked so much better to me with Ross on the field last year. Yeah, look, speed's
3: important. And I think if you look at the systems that Kafka and Dable come from, they value speed at wide receiver, right? They're not these big possession guys type coaches. They want speed. Right. So look, if you can figure out a way to trade up into Jameson Williams, like where do I sign? Like, cool. <laughs> that'd be awesome. You know, for, for me, he's he's honestly my wide receiver one. I think he's the best in the class. Um, I love Garrett Wilson too. I don't think that guy is a weakness. I think he's wonderful. Yeah. Um, Honestly, if, if you really, you want to laugh, and I, and I just kind of, I guess, you know, bagged on him a little bit. But if you want the guy, if he could ever get there at 36, that fits perfectly for what you want and I want. It's a Lave. It's a good route runner. He can run past people. He's got speed. That's the type of guy you're looking at. If you're looking for a mid-round guy that can do that, he's only 5'8". But Calvin Austin gives you speed, yeah. man. You want somebody to run past people, go pick Calvin Austin. He's a track dude. Um, I think that's interesting. Uh, Bo Melton. I don't know if he gets you excited. Big Bo Melton fan
2: over here. Not just because we're from Jersey over here. I I do think he's he's really underrated. He tested really well. I thought he actually did a
3: really good job on the day it rained at the senior bowl. He showed you how to play in, in in bad weather. Um, so yeah, you're right. I don't know if there's as many of those guys as you're talking about, you know, Justin Ross is a deep target, but he's a bigger deep target. He's not a speed deep target. You know what I mean? So yeah, I'm with you. I mean, Pickens is a guy I know he's a bigger guy And maybe the testing's not great But he's a deep threat If if, if you're thinking about that But yeah, look, I think that's fair I think the more speed you can get on the field The better And I I do think Tony can give you that too By the way If he's 100%, Tony can run past people Like people are going to have to put a safety over the top on him You know, just running his straight head speed's pretty good So, I'm with you Yeah, look I think the wide receiver position right now looks full, but in two years it could be completely empty. Right. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think it. I think it, it's kind of an interesting thought experiment in terms of how, where you think it's going.
1: Have you seen the Sauce Gardner versus Calvin Austin tape from twenty twenty yet? I have not looked at that. No. Was it fun? It, it was fun just because you see this six foot four long cornerback against this like five foot seven and a half speedy receiver off. Oh, the I'm lineup. writing that down. All right, here yeah. we go. Let's go. It's it's a good film to watch and they each get each other on a few different plays. I, I think it's a, an enjoyable watch. I, they, they probably face off maybe like 20 times throughout the game. It wasn't like he was shadowing him, but you did see sauce in the slot over him, which is right. typically a precarious position for somebody that long yeah. uh, to, to go up against someone that speedy.
2: And I I look forward to seeing that. That that sounds like fun. It's a fun one. I want to talk a couple other positions with you, John, one that's interesting to me right now. And it's a position they've spent a lot more resources on so far in the pre-draft process than they have since 2018, at least when it comes to reported top 30 private visits, combine interviews, and that's the running back position. And, While ultimately for me, this is in my opinion, if I had to grade them, the weakest class I've studied since I started doing this at the running back position, both top end talent and depth wise, there are some players who stand out to me as values players. We, me and Nick have discussed, we both love Damian Pierce and James Cook as potential day two, late or day three guys. But I wanted to get your take on the running back position as a whole, like one, should the giants invest in one now or wait until the end of the Barkley era? Cause then you can maximize that player's rookie contract and get the extra year. Or do you and do you like those guys I mentioned? Pierce Cook. Do you have other guys you might want to invest a pick in, and, and where would you look to invest? It's funny. I feel
3: like you want to draft Pierce and Cook, right? So you have <laughs> yeah, Pierce almost. be your first yeah. and
2: second down guy, and then you have Cook be your third down
3: guy, right? Um, yeah. You know what? I think the running back back class is fine. Um, look, you, you aren't getting Walker or Brees Hall unless you're picking in this picking them in the second round, and you're not yep. going to do that. Please. Um, don't. So no, I don't I don't think look when they're in Buffalo, they drafted both their running backs in the third round, right? Right. So I I think that's probably a a good target to look at. You know, Brian Robinson, I think, is kind of like your get what's on the field. You know, he'll drag guys a couple extra yards. You want to, you know, first and second round grind first and second down grinder. I think Robinson's your guy actually kind of reminds me of Zach Moss a little bit, the guy they had up in Buffalo. So that's interesting. I think Jerome Ford is actually an interesting player out of Cincinnati. I think he's got some pop to him. Nobody talks about him much. He's 5'11", 210. Um, I think he's a guy you get in the third or fourth round that I think is a little interesting. You know, it's a really good question. I think you're probably right. I think you probably wait on the running back position one more year. But if you get a guy in a round that you think is good value, and maybe they're already thinking – to try to keep Saquon healthy. We only want to play him 60% of the snaps anyway. So that could be a way they're looking at it. So, yeah, you know, I think it's interesting. I think for me, that is a earliest you look at that position is your second, third round pick. And then you kind of go from there.
1: That's fair. Yeah, I think that's fair. There's a couple guys a little bit later, like a Tyler Batty. I just got to his film. He's the running back. Yeah, I like him too. He's pretty good. Yeah, from Missouri. Yeah, there's there's a few guys in that later round. I've heard good yeah, things about Gary and Ely from Old Miss, but I haven't had the chance to watch him quite yet. But John, I wanted to ask you about the linebacker position. Cause Brandon. Hey, by he- way, really
3: quick, one guy to watch. Yeah.
1: yeah. Look at Hassan
3: Haskins from Michigan. Oh, um, yeah. You want a first and second down grinder and a short yardage guy? He's not going to give you much as an explosive back. Take a look at him if you that could be like a sixth round, first and second down guy. I, I actually thought he looked pretty good. Anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry.
1: Well, I I watched Haskins actually a while back. He was one of the first running backs I evaluated and I came away liking him. I think he's an interesting third, maybe fourth round type of guy. And also, have you seen Rashad White from Arizona State? No, he's on my list though. He's an explosive one. Kind of runs a little bit upright, but has really, really good receiving skills. I think he's another one that could interest the New York Giants depending on the value. But I did want to ask John about the linebacker position because Brandon Bean selected Tremaine Edmonds in the first round of the 2018 draft, along with Josh Allen, and the Ravens consistently poured high draft capital into the linebacker spot with Patrick Queen. They also selected Malik Harrison, I think, in the third round. How much do you believe the Giants will value the linebacker position in this class? Because it seems like a pretty deep class filled with solid day two to early day three talent. Yeah, i tell you what, I
3: struggle evaluating linebackers because I think so much of the linebacker position in evaluating their tape is knowing what their responsibility is. Yeah, And we don't know. And look, I, I I live football, but I still don't know on some of these plays what the guy's supposed to do. So it's hard for me to figure out, you know, who's great. And I hate just judging linebackers off of, off of athleticism. I think that's how you get Patrick Murray, you know, and who hasn't worked out? You know, uh, Kenneth Murray, part of me that Patrick Queen to a certain extent too. Yeah. Um. But I actually really like this day two linebacker class this year. I think it's wonderful. Um. Christian Harris, his coverage isn't strong, but boy, downhill sideline to sideline, that guy can move. Like I kind of like him just as much as I like Nicobe Dean. Like I think they're not that different. Uh. Chad Mumma, I think, is excellent yeah. out of Wyoming. Um. He's like a. He's kind of like Blake Martinez, right? He's going to make every play. I think he reacts a tick faster than everyone else on that defense on running plays. You know, he's not twitchy, but I think, I think he's going to be good. I'm not a huge Leo Chanel guy out of Wisconsin. Ooh. I think he, I don't think he moves well enough in coverage. I worry about that. Troy Anderson is a guy I kind of am very excited about. He's somebody that I think you can get in the third round who right now against the run isn't as physical as you want, but boy, he has some coverage upside, man. That guy's long. Yes. He can move. I love this coverage at the senior bowl. I like him. And then I think Brian Asamoah out of Oklahoma is pretty good too. He's kind of a run and hit guy. He looks like a guy that should be good in coverage, but isn't that good in coverage. So can you kind of teach that to him a little bit? Um, but yeah, I, I think all those guys are going to be really good players and 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 day two linebackers, to be honest with you.
2: Well, I'll make the executive decision after this podcast, John, as to whether or not I'm going to keep in that Leo Chanel comment, because for those who don't know, and <laughs> I see the Wisconsin listens, flag, I'm I can the biggest was, Yeah, you see the Wisconsin flag, you know, I'm a homer, but you know what? I love Chanel and I love his fit for this defense, but I get it. I do understand the limitations as well. And you know, what, a, a good, a good argument that someone actually came up with the other day, talking to me about Chanel is you watch us. He's only goes, you watch a ton of Wisconsin. You watch every game and you, you've watched a ton of the film. He goes, how far off is Jack Sanborn really from Leo Chanel? And it's an interesting question because Sanborn looks so good on tape there too within that Jim Leonard system. And that system is definitely predicated to make players who are going downhill with a lot of speed and a lot of pop like Chanel look better than maybe they will be at the next level if they don't get the right system fit or something of that nature. Now, I think Wink's system is a good fit, but of course, I love that we have a debate there. And and ultimately, we'll keep that in there, John. But I will say this <laughs> about the inside backer position. It's interesting because it's viewed right now by NFL standard as these off ball backers are viewed as kind of luxury picks more than necessities, maybe not positional value based picks. But as I've watched the giants over the last few years, and me and Nick discussed this for a while now, we've been looking for talent at that inside on that second level of the inside off ball backer position for a while. And we think it will make a difference overall. You look at some of the teams who have found success with drafting inside backers. The bucks are a good example of that. And, at, and if you watch the tape last year, there were, t- there were a lot of times where Tate Crowder was out of position or over aggressive or, or oh, it was
3: striking spot. how much worse it was after Blake Martinez got. Yeah. Him. Striking, it was striking.
2: And, You know, a lot of people ask, why did the Giants defense fall off last year? Not, I don't think a lot of discussion has been made. The Blake Martinez injury and just the lack of depth and talent after that. Um, So I'm still interested. Like you said, there's a lot of second round guys too.
3: You know, the issue too, and this is kind of what I mentioned earlier with linebackers right now, safeties are dropping down and playing linebackers, playing linebacker on third down now. Right. So that's why you got to figure out, well, what role do you want these linebackers to play? If you're only going to have them on the field on first and second down, then I'm not picking them on day two. That's fair. Like, like, but, or you need him as a blitzer. Maybe that's the future of the linebacker position. You want to blitz five, you find the linebacker. That's the best, you know, that's the best blitzer on third down, like a Christian Harris or something like that. So, you really need, much like the safety, you have to know the role that you want them for. And that's going to dictate the value and when you're going to
1: pick them.
2: There is what has me so excited about Chanel, by the way. Just personally, I feel oh, like he's a good he blitzer. A weapon as a blitzer. And
1: especially in Winston. Like Go ahead, Nick. I was going to say all of those positions kind of blend in with each other, the linebacker and the safeties. I mean, like you yeah. look at someone like Jalen Petrie, who we brought up a little bit before, that's someone who could fit the run. He can execute any of those assignments. He might not be the biggest guy, but he's not a liability out there whatsoever in terms of run support so you look at a lot of those safeties they're deemed safeties but a lot of them can play at the second level as linebackers and I'm also wondering what this Micah Parsons effect is going to have now granted there's always been linebackers who end up being kind of used as edges but not like Micah Parsons so I'm wondering if in like two years three years we're going to start viewing the linebackers as these guys who you can line up on the edge because there's one in this class and Devin Lloyd who did that quite a bit at Utah to a pretty I would say solid level.
3: Here's the problem. There's not many, you know. If you look at Michael Parsons' RAS card, his relative athletic score, there ain't that many Michael Parsons <laughs> running around? That 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 are that are that you are see two. it on
2: the tape too. It's obvious yeah. just when you used to watch him. I would event. say that guys
3: that are 250 yeah. and can move that way yeah. just don't there. Aren't not many like you watch Lloyd on tape, he's a good player. He is not explosive, or nor not. does he move like Michael. I think I'm people a, I think fans especially. As Giant fans watch Michael Parsons in Dallas and gets really annoyed that he's not with the Giants, <laughs> just be careful trying to create a Michael Parsons when yeah. there's probably only one of those dudes.
1: Absolutely. There is somebody in this draft, though, and I know I want to be cognizant of your time, who obviously oh, is fine. not Michael my- Obviously, he's not Micah Parsons. I'm not making that argument, but he fits the bill of what you just said. He is around 250 pounds, six foot four, very, very athletic. And that is Georgia's Quay Walker. We haven't brought him up yet. And then there's also Channing Tindall from Georgia. Now he's a little bit more undersized, but he has the range and he is another very, very interesting player. Have you watched their tape? And what do you think of them? I know they're raw, but uh, coming from Georgia's defense, kind of hard to evaluate exactly their impact in the NFL.
3: I haven't done my deep dive on Tyndall yet, but Quay Walker's fantastic. I love Quay Walker. I could see him being an early, a late first round pick even, to be honest with you, because I think you can use him as an edge rusher on third down if you want. Um, long 6'4", 240 plus. He just looks like an NFL player, right? He's an elite athlete. He was a five star. I think Quay Walker is going to be a really good player. Uh, I think you, you nailed that and I should have brought him up when I brought up the other linebackers because I do think he's wonderful. I'm not sure if he's your traditional Mike. Maybe that's why I didn't want to bring him up with the, with the other guys I was going kind to of talking about. But yeah, look, I think Will or Sam in a four, three, and then in the three, four as as an off ball guy. And then occasionally he's in a rusher. Yeah. I think, I think Quay Walker is going to be a heck of a player.
2: I'm so with you on Walker. He's one of my guys in this draft, somebody I'm interested in at 36. And, you know, I made the case the other day and, and I got a little flack from a Georgia. Uh, I guess it was a Georgia blog. But I, I think for me, I take walk over Dean in this class. Just uh, just thinking about everything I've seen with how the NFL is transitioning at linebacker, and what I've already kind of seen Wink Martindale go through with Patrick Queen, who's not the same as the Kobe Dean, but in, in no, a lot of similar. ways, they're similar. similar. It just scares me for drafting a player like Dean over a player like Walker, who I think translates better to the next level. I
3: kind of equate the Georgia defense to the Kentucky basketball team, where you have so many guards that can score in this rigid system that you kind of have to figure out, all right, if these guys are unleashed a little bit, how good they can be when they get to the pros, right? Like if they let Trayvon Walker rush off the edge more, could he have had more sacks? If yeah. Quay Walker's on the field all the time and allowed right. to do different things, how much better could he have been? So I think it's such a good defense and it's such in a, such a system that works, but it's rigid where guys have specific roles, scouting the upside for those guys, I think can be a little challenging.
2: And it's and been tough. Reason. I mean, the giants, even dating back to Lorenzo Carter, that was a player who both Nick and I felt was an absolute steal for the job. Oh, it yeah, To be the best pick in that class. One of the best values in that class, a, 10-year starter for the Giants and, and injuries played a role, but it just didn't work out for them. And it was it's tougher to scout these guys. I agree with that coming from that Georgia system.
1: And it's one reason why Jermaine Johnson left too and went to Florida right. State. Yeah. And another reason why he didn't have the great production. But if you go back and you watch the film, you see him executing the assignments within the framework of that Georgia defense. Who do you guys like that- better, Walker or Jermaine Johnson, if you could pick between the two of them? So we've we've actually had this conversation before. Now I think Jermaine Johnson is a better, more refined player right now, but it's just the argument of potential and what they can be. And the ceiling is so much higher with Trayvon Walker. And I think the floor is pretty high with Trayvon Walker too, because you know he's going to be a really, really damn good run defender at the least, you know. And then you talk about his pass rushing upside, it's not there. Jermaine Johnson's a much better pass rusher right now, but in a year, two years. You tell me Trayv- Trayvon Walker is one of the best players from this draft. I'm not going to be shocked. It's just not something we've seen on tape yet.
3: Just remember, Jeremy Johnson was kind of lost in the combine. He tested really well. Really too. well. Like, his testing was yes.
1: phenomenal.
2: I'm a Johnson over Walker guy personally. I just, I trust a little bit more there. And I, and I just love what Johnson's immediately going to be able to help you day one, as far as setting the edge in the run game. And that is obviously overlooked for good reason we don't want we're not trying to push on this podcast or any podcast you know prioritizing run stoppers over pass rushers but it helps him get on the field and helps him stay on the field early on and i'm not saying and walker actually does a good job of that as well so it's not like he can't do that i think trayvon time. walker's a three technique with okay. a
3: four-man line
2: i can that's see that being, he is. The, and i think he'd
3: be a hell of a one too but that, that's what i right now yeah. maybe he can become an edge guy but that's he was 280 pounds man like you don't see a lot of 280 pound edge. If that's the around. case.
2: And I think it's possible. It actually scares me more away from taking him because there's going to be a transition. If he does have to play inside a little bit or kind of have like a hybrid role, it's going to take a little bit more time there. Yeah. I want to be cognizant of your time. So you can just give us a heads up when it's time. You got to jump off, but I have to oh, ask you one more position before we get out of here. No, throw it at me. What do you got? What do you got? Giants fans are talking about it with us every single day. And that's the tight end position. And. It's obvious the giants need a major infusion of talent at tight end and no one's here to tell you otherwise, but I'm kind of interested in hearing how you evaluate this tight end class, John, because I'm not a huge fan of it until day three. And in my mind, there's really no player worthy of going at 36 overall. I wouldn't have down out on that entirely. I've kind of set my focus to round three. And for me again, preferably day three uh, for a tight end. I'm curious some of the tight ends that caught your attention that you're looking at for the giants, but also like if you would take anyone at 36.
3: no, not okay. even wouldn't even consider it. Yeah. I would even hesitate picking one at the first pick in the third round to same. be honest with you. Um I mean if Trey McBride's sitting there, would I consider it? Yeah, I guess. But <laughs> I mean, I feel the same way. Eh, like no. well, I would much rather have Jeremy Ruckert with my first pick in the fourth round or, yep. you know, Charlie Kohler with my first pick in the fourth yep. round. You know, tight ends are, is a traits position now, right? You pick guys that have traits. Um, so you find the guys that tested the best and you try to figure out, because again, much like linebacker and safety, I think tight end and the numbers and production they have is very much determined by how they're using their collegiate system. So that can be challenging on, on projecting some of these guys, the guys that I like, or two, I mentioned, I think Rutgers, a good two-way player. He's a try hard blocker. I think he's going to work on his technique a little bit, but he's a guy that could I think be a solid two-way guy. And he might, him not participating in the pre-draft process will help him fall. To right. where the Giants can take him. Um, I like Charlie Kohler. I didn't was not that impressed with him at the senior bowl because he didn't create a lot of separation. Then I watched his tape and I'm like, all right, yeah. If you get manned up with a safety against him that's fast, he's probably not gonna get open, but he's so long, he can still make plays. And I think against zones, he's a terror with his size and length in his hands. So and he tested really well. So I think him. As the second, third-round pick or, or fourth-round pick, I would definitely think about that. I like Isaiah Likely, and he was actually a better blocker on tape than I thought he would be when I watched him. Um, he just he tries. like He's into it. And I think when you're evaluating tight end blockers in college, you're for a guy that's willing to try. Yeah. And I think then you can kind of figure it out later. Uh, Kate Otten, I think, is a fourth- or fifth-round guy who, again, is probably hurt by not being in the draft process. You want a blocker, pick Jake Ferguson out of Wisconsin. Best blocker in the class. You know, Jelani Woods tested really well. I watched him yesterday. He doesn't look like that athlete when you watch him on tape to me. Mm -hmm. He runs over people. I think the size and strength pops. He is not smooth at all. Like, I, I I don't see it. If you're picking him late. Fine, but he's going to get pushed up because of his testing. So I'm not sure that's going to work.
2: That's how I felt with McBride watching him. He just wasn't the same player he tested to be, at least not on the tape that I saw. But it's interesting. There's a lot of names there. I, I'm kind of interested in just saying, you know what? Wait, wait, wait. Take Austin Allen, who I like a lot out of Nebraska, um, later, even later, maybe what, round five, round six? So, I mean... Tight ends an interesting position. Me and Nick kind of differing in this. I know Nick w- w- is more interested in taking a tight end, not not to say he wants to, but just a little bit earlier than maybe than maybe I might, if the right guy's there.
1: If the right guy's there, yeah. but Schmelk brought up a bunch of guys that I really value, like Charlie Cole are one of my favorite. And when I'm, I'm not looking like there's not a lot of dominant blockers, right? Like I think Ferguson yeah, yeah. is a good blocker. I think K Dot and can block, but Mike Mayock put it perfectly. You just want someone who's going to lose slowly enough. That, that's basically what you're looking for. The Just title. get in the way. Just get, Just in, the get way. in the way. So that's why like an Isaiah Likely. Yeah, that's like a big yeah. slot kind of guy, but he, you're right. You see him at the second level. He's blocking like a maniac, man. He definitely takes pride in it. That's what I want to see from the tight end. And I also, John, want to ask you before we get you out of here. Are there any players in this draft that you seem higher on than consensus? And then are there any players that you were lower on?
3: That's a good question. And I always, when someone asks it to me, I'm never ready for it. <laughs> and I'm looking at my list and I'm like, well, <laughs> who are the people we are not really high on that I like? I got to take a Good news is
2: you gave guys. a lot already in, within within this podcast.
3: No, I don't I don't I'm 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 going to go through my notes here real quick. I'm going to start flipping pages. This is great radio. This is <laughs> yeah. like pure Mike Francesa solo. All right, yeah. I'm reading the paper here. What am I doing? Yeah. Uh let's see what do we got here? Um guys that I really like that other people don't. That's a good question do you want the next Cole Beasley? Go draft Kyle Phillips from UCLA
2: Phillips.
3: Um, not fast is not going to run away from people, but he is a hell of a route runner. Um, that's a good guy. I Like I mentioned Haskins out of Michigan. He's somebody that I think is going to be a better player than a lot of people think. You know, I mentioned a lot of the offensive linemen already when we talked about those guys, uh, defensively, you know, how about Neil Farrell out of L- at a, at a, at a, at a LSU? I think he's a pretty good guy. If you're looking, and I think this is what the Giants scheme is going to be, a one-gap penetrator, mm-hmm. you know, he's not—he's big. He's 330, but he's not a guy I want to two-gap. I want him getting up field. So he's somebody that I watch and I think would be a good third-round pick if you're looking for a penetrating defensive tackle that has some size, which is exactly what I think um, Wink Martindale is looking for in his system. And then I think the one thing we didn't talk about, if you get sauce and, and one of the tackles at five and seven, and you mm-hmm. want to pass rusher, I think there will be some value left on the board at 36. Oh yeah. I like a at a Penn state. I think he's got a lot of tools. He's still raw. He didn't pick up football till high school, Yep, uh, but he can win a lot of different ways. I, I think he's interesting. I'm not a huge Drake Jackson, Cameron Thomas guy. I'm not as high in them as other people are. And I like Mafé. I think he's a guy that is very – he can gets upfield. He's violent. He's sudden. He's explosive. Sadly, I'm not sure he's getting to 36. Um, but those are two guys I would keep an eye on if the Giants don't get an edge or five or seven. And you're looking for good value of players at the top of the second round. Those are two edge guys that I think will give you pretty good value and have pretty high upside.
1: Yeah, big yeah. fan of DeBoccardi. We like Mafey, but I think yep. you're right. I think teams are going to see that athletic ability of Mafey and be like, "There's no way some of those top-notch teams who are competing for Super Bowls are going to let him pass." But if he's sitting there at 36 and that situation presents itself with Sauce Gardner and Neil, sign me up for either Boye Mafey out of Minnesota or Arnold DeBoccardi out of Penn State.
2: Ooh, yeah, how about
3: Michigan. this? Yeah, here's another question: Would
1: you guys take Ojabo I
3: don't think I talked I would. about
2: that yesterday. I don't think I would. I'm more open to it than Nick is. I think I would. I mean, if a job,
1: yeah. was a more complete player in yeah. college had more, he had one year of production playing opposite of Aiden Hutchinson. And he was and just, by like, the way, not even one year of production, one year of playing. Yeah. Like, yeah, exactly. hey, yeah. it's, it's fair. Like snaps <laughs> the year before it was like 15 snaps, but he wasn't a run defender. All he fair. had to get taken out of the game against Georgia. And that's a concern mm-hmm. to me, especially when he has to recover from a serious injury.
2: Yeah. And there's so many other guys we like in that 36 range that I, I probably lean toward where Nick is when all said and done, I probably wouldn't do it. There's just too many other guys that, even at the edge position, like even Epiket, I'd take Epiket over him just based on everything we know about the two players and where they're at right now.
3: I don't like the corners at that spot, though. I think all the good ones are going to be gone. Um, are you
2: assuming Booth will be gone or Booth doesn't count for you?
3: I think okay. Booth's gone. Okay. If Booth's there, Booth's I would pick gone. him. I don't think
2: he's making it. I like Booth a lot, too. How about Elam? We haven't, we haven't had a chance to really look into him yet, but a lot of people <sighs> like him.
3: Elam, I have looked at briefly. I have not done my deep dive on a lot of the corners. That's one of the last groups Damn, I him. do because I can go through the guys pretty quick. I feel like a cornerback. He matches the size and speed you want for a Wink Martindale corner, so I think he fits the profile. I have not done heavy on the actual tape yet, though, so I will Fair reserve enough. opinion on that.
2: I think you're right, though, overall, just looking at the class. Corner is going to – That's also leads to the argument of, like, maybe it's why if you have the opportunity after you go Neal or Kwanu at five and you're sitting there and you're looking at Thibodeau or Sauce – Maybe you lean towards sauce because you know you have a better chance of getting an edge you like at 36 and a quarter. I
1: would pick sauce in that
2: spot. Yeah, I think we're in the same boat there, Nick. And I don't want to speak for you, but I know we talked about that recently.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm in the same boat. I got to finish my eval on sauce, but everything I've seen so far, I, I really, really like him. How about Stingley? Would you guys consider him at seven or are you too scared?
2: Yeah,
3: just
1: about to ask you about uh, – that yeah. was my last question. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, there, I just finished my eval on Stingley. and I just, I'm a coward. Them. I wouldn't
3: do it. I'm, 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 I'm too scared of the last two years.
1: I might be a little bit scared, but man, if you watch that 2019 tape, dude, it is just, <laughs> it is something to marvel at. If, if he, he
3: played play play. the way he did in 2019, the last two years, he would be the first overall pick in the yeah. draft.
1: Which says something. and We all know cornerbacks are very volatile position. He has all the traits. I can't speak to the kid's character. I don't know any of right. those things. I don't even know if there are concerns necessarily. People say that he dogged it in the last year, or whatever. I, I can't weigh in on that, but you're talking about the traits of a press man cornerback. They're, Aren't many players or not many people on this earth that possess it like Derek Stingley? Yeah.
3: No, look, his his hips are ridiculous. Like he can flip yeah. and mirror and do all that stuff. It's 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 nuts. I mean, it's it's really, really, really strong. The one thing I'll leave with you guys when you consider who the Giants might pick in some of these spots, the one thing Joe Shane and Brian Dable both stressed smart, tough, dependable. I take smart and tough and I throw them away. Everyone wants smart and tough <laughs> yeah. players. That's easy, whatever. The dependable one is that is the one that's interesting to me. Is Derek Stingley dependable? Yeah, is a guy coming was... off a serious injury like David Ojabo dependable? Right. Is Kayvon Thibodeau, who's not as dominant as you want him to be? Is he dependable? What does dependable mean? And how seriously does he do they take that? Yeah. That's kind of something I've been thinking about a lot in how they profile these guys and who they select what does dependable mean and how important is that to them when you're trying to figure out who you're willing to take a little bit of a risk on? That to me is an interesting calculation.
2: It's a great thing to leave us on. John, thank you so much for joining the Big Blue Banter podcast. This was incredible. No, I mean, we have fun, this, this, this could go on forever. You're you're a wealth of knowledge when it comes to the draft. I mean, we knew that. Everyone knows that. For those who don't know, though, check out everything John is working on right now during draft season. First of all, you can find him on Twitter. If you don't already follow him there, do that. That's at schmelk. That's S E H. M E E L K. I had to look it up to be honest. Well, you got to spell someone... it. I know you have to spell up Isn't as someone and this line, is man. embarrassing as someone with a last name that starts with S-E-H, H. I'm going to be completely honest. I pride myself on trying to get these right, but I, I had to double check. I'll be honest. I knew no, it was the two fine. E's, but I didn't want to screw it up, so I just. Had hey, to you know
3: words. what? If if you want to see somebody fumble <laughs> with a name, go watch on Giants.com. I interview with the with the kid from Nigeria they just signed from the okay, international yes. program. <laughs> Toughest last name I've ever had to do. <laughs> I thought I nailed it. Uh, and then the interview's over. I ask him, we go, Roy, did I get? He goes, we'll have to work on that a little bit. I'm like, son, of <laughs> yeah, a son. I well, thought I had it.
2: <laughs> I'll immediately make you feel better, John, because I average about one to two name as name mess ups per podcast here. And our <laughs> listeners let us know. But again, follow him on Twitter. You can follow and you should definitely subscribe to the draft season podcast. I mean, there's guest after guest after guest. These are big time guests talking this type of draft. Um, obviously, you know, big blue huddle. And then finally, or I'm sorry. Big blue kickoff, and then finally Giants huddle. So thanks again, John, for t- for joining us, and we're excited for the draft. Hopefully we get a chance to do this again.
3: Yeah, I, I can tease a couple, by the way. We have uh, Charles Davis coming up on Friday okay. on the Giants huddle. Check that out. Very nice. uh, Chad Reuter from Giants, from NFL.com. He does their four-round mocks. He should be on next week. Uh, we're going to have Matt Miller from ESPN on next week as well. Uh, and then we're going to have our yearly, which is one of my favorite episodes to do. We're going to have David Deal and Sean O'Hara on together. doing a full hour on the entire offensive line class.
2: That's full class. That's my favorite show
3: all year. We're recording it next week. It's probably going to air the Tuesday before the draft. I think is my plan. I love that episode. And those guys talking about offensive linemen, I could do it for hours. I I, I would imagine. Giant title podcast. Check it out. And then you mentioned draft season. That's Tony Pauline and Eric Crocker, who are great draft guys in their own right. We're kind of do a show every week. We're going to do two the week of the draft. Again, if you got if people like the draft, they are fun episodes to listen to. I'll just leave it at that.
2: Yeah, without a doubt. And I heard a recent one. I don't know if it was huddle or draft season. You did an interview with Austin Gale, pro football focus. Oh, yeah. That's a must listen for anyone who, who hasn't heard that one yet. Cause that was excellent, excellent stuff. They're all Thank great you. though. I'm going to be honest. Appreciate that, man. Yeah, no, it's the truth. So just speaking the truth here. Thanks again, John, for joining us. Have a great rest of your week, everyone. And we'll talk to you soon.